Good evening, everyone. Um, the first reading this evening is from the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verse 1 to 6. Uh, Genesis 15 is found on page 10, not far to go. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. G'day. The uh, New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 4, and that can only just be found on page 797. Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abram, our father, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blamelessness of man, to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And if he received the sign of circumcision, and he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that the righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham had and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may, may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. 
He is our Father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through, through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. My apologies for using this microphone. We've got a few technical problems tonight, but we've got the Word of God, and I've got a voice, so we can hear a sermon. Let's, uh, let's pray together and ask that we'd hear God clearly tonight. Uh, Father, thank you for the gift of music that we can praise you in song. I thank you that you hear our prayers, and thank you that you speak to us through your Word. Uh, Father, you know exactly what we need to hear. Uh, you know our struggles and our joys and our delights and I pray that as your word goes out tonight your spirit would take it and use it and change us for your glory in his name Amen. I wonder if you can guess what I'm talking about here's your first clue most people claim to have some Prince Charles was unhappy about defending it and George Michael sang about it in the 1980s you got to have you just got to have faith now, now faith I is a word that we use all the time it's part of your everyday language you know uh, I have faith in that person I have no faith in the the Labour government. Um, that's not a that's not my political <laughs> opinion, but we just use that all the f all the time, or, or we describe people as people of faith. You know, she's a, a woman of great faith, or someone might have said to you, I, "I wish I had your faith." But what does that word mean? What does that word faith really mean? Our, our world thinks that faith is kind of turning off your brain. And just accepting things with, with no evidence. Turn off your brain and just accept something with no evidence at all. Or is that leap in the dark or the vague possibility that something might happen but you can never be certain of it. That is faith. And tonight we're looking at faith because that word faith is vital, is essential to your relationship with God. Look how Paul puts it in chapter 3. Uh, 3 verse 26, he says that God is the one, end of verse 26, who justifies, who makes people's right with him, those who have faith, who trust in Jesus. 
is the same in 3 verse 28. We maintain a man is justified, he's made right with God by faith, by trust. It's the same in verse 30. 3 verse 30, there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. See, see, faith is the key. You are made right with God. You are declared innocent by God. You are put in the right with your maker. You're forgiven and you're restored and you're redeemed only by faith. Only by faith. And so I want to ask you straight up, I don't know all of you here tonight. I want to ask you, do you have faith? Just because you walked into church tonight does not mean that you necessarily have faith. Do you have faith? Uh, who is that faith in? How certain, how secure are you in that faith? Do you, ha- do you have saving faith? Does your faith actually secure and guarantee that you're in right relationship with your maker? See, my goal in this sermon is that you might leave here understanding what faith is and what faith does. That you might leave here secure, liberated from the, the competing demands to achieve things and be successful, to be worthy of God's love, and just thinking it's all about faith. And if you ever wanted an extraordinary example of a man of faith, if you ever wanted to learn about faith, uh, the man that you would model your faith on is a man called Abraham. So I'm going to go into character. I'm Abraham. So I was living in a place called Ur. You've probably never heard of that. Living with my family, living with my friends. And, and God called me one day. He said, Abraham, you've got to leave this place and go to a place I'm going to show you. And I'm going, God, why? But I thought, no, no, I'd take him at his word. So I, I did that. I packed up and I left. And then God made it more specific. And he said, you're going to go to a place called Canaan. I'd never heard of that. But I, I, I took him at his word and I went there. I had faith. And then one day God took me outside and he said, hey, look at the sky, stars in the sky. How many, how many stars are there? And I went, God, there are millions of stars out there. And God said to me, Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And I thought, that is ridiculous, God. I'm in my 80s. And Sarah, my wife, she's 80 as well. And we're both infertile. That is humanly impossible. But then I thought, no, no. With God, all things are possible. Because he is God. God's powerful enough to do that. So I took him at his word. I had faith. Uh, you know, a few years later, about 14 years later, when I was 99 and Sarah, my wife, was 90, God kept his promise. It was a miracle. But he opened her womb and he gave her a baby and we called him Isaac. Wow, what a great God we have. But then God tested me again and I'm not just talking about suffering or, or sickness one day God said to me, take that son Isaac, that precious boy of yours, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And I'm going, God, what are you doing? You promised me that I'll have all these children, and the one child that I have, God, you're now asking me to sacrifice. But I had faith. 
I trusted God. I took God at his word and I believed God. And so I walked up that mountain to sacrifice my son. And I just figured, you know, if God could bring life from a dead womb, then God could bring my son back to life again as well. And so I trusted God and I had faith. You see, Abraham, Abraham's a man of faith. He actually believes what God promises him. Even when those promises, humanly speaking, sound utterly, utterly impossible. Listen to how Abraham is described in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 8, he says, By faith, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Verse 11, uh, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, he was enabled to become a father because he considered God faithful who had made the promise. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when tested by God, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You see how Abraham, he's not just a man of obedience, he's a man of faith. He hears God. He believes God. He takes him at his word. And he acts on God's promises. And that's our big theme of tonight. You've got to have faith. Here's my main point that we are justified by faith. That's a repeated verse in the passage, Romans 4, verse 3. What does the scripture say? What does the Old Testament say? What does the living voice of God say? Abraham trusted God, had faith in God. It's the same word, he had faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's just saying Abraham was made right with God, accepted by God, his sins have been dealt with, because he trusted, he had faith, and he took God at his word. And that's really all faith is. It's not a leap in the dark. It's taking your creator God at his word, trusting in his promises. It is trusting in a person who is reliable and dependable. So faith in God is just taking God at his word. It's like... If my wife Rachel said to Sam, uh, Sam, we're going to the zoo tomorrow. Sam's six. I don't expect Sam to say, oh, maybe, Mum, but I'll, I'll just check your diary first to make sure that you haven't double booked. And then I'll phone around all your friends to make sure that you really are free. Sam believes Rachel and says, OK, we're going to the zoo tomorrow. And in a small way, he has faith. He takes her at her word. Now, of course, that, that example is flawed because we human beings often don't keep our word. But God is reliable and God does what he says he will do. And it's such a simple point, but a profound point. If you have faith, if you take God at his word, you are made right. You are justified. See, God has said that you do have a problem. You're all guilty. You're all sinners. 
you do face the measured, right, calculated wrath of God. But if you're trusting in Jesus, if you're trusting in his blood shed for you, if you're trusting that Jesus took that punishment on himself, if you believe that and take God at his word, you are declared right, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're restored. Look at the verse again, chapter 4, verse 3. Abraham had faith in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's there again in verse 23. The words it was credited to him, they were not just written for, Ab- for Abraham, verse 24, but also for us, for you and for me, to whom God will credit righteousness. He will say, yes, he is right in my sight. For us who believe, who have faith in God, who raised Jesus from the dead. How are you right with God? It's really simple, by faith, by trust in Jesus. But Paul knows that for many of us, that is just too simple. It's too hard to believe. And so in this chapter, he goes through different things that, that we think will make us right with God, but won't. Here's the first one. It's not by works. Verses 1 to 8. Uh, look at that word again, verse 3. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That, that word credit is a financial word. Uh, something's been added to your account. Now, now think about your bank account. There are two ways that money can be credited into your account. One is a wage that you've earned. You've done the work, you've got paid, you've earned it. But the other way that money gets into your account is it's a gift. It's a gift from somebody else. And that's not earned. And that's Paul's argument. Verse 4, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Uh, If you've worked, you earned your wages. Your wages are not grace, they're not a gift. You deserve them. Imagine that your boss comes to you on payday and says, here's some money, it's a gift for me. It's not a gift. I've worked for you. I deserve these. I, I've earned it. Uh, but if you haven't worked, if you haven't earned it, it is a gift. So verse 5, to the man who doesn't work, but trusts God, has faith in God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. He's saying, you can't work to earn your forgiveness. You don't deserve the forgiveness You just trust, you have faith that God will forgive you because of Jesus. I really hope you've got this. After all these years of church, I hope you've understood when it comes to being right with God, all talk about works and obligations and what you need to do is goes out of the window. God doesn't owe you anything. You can't earn anything. It's all a gift. Faith and grace, that great double act. The problem is that most of us don't actually appreciate what a glorious gift we've been given. Imagine tomorrow morning you go to the ATM, you take out a hundred bucks, and on the on-screen balance it comes up, on-screen balance, a hundred thousand (laughs) dollars. And you're going, whoa, where did that come from? Must be some mistake, I haven't earned that. So, so you go into the uh, the bank and you talk to the woman and say, oh, I think there's some mistake in my bank account. There's $100,000 here. And she says, oh, it's no mistake. 
Uh, yesterday, someone gave you a gift of $100,000. I imagine that you walk out of that bank amazed, shocked, with a big smile on your face. But God, you know, he looks at our statement and instead of saying deserving wrath, deserving hell, the gift is forgiveness and life. And you've done nothing to earn it. I hope you've got that. God does not justify you because you are good and godly. God justifies you because you're ungodly <laughs> and you need forgiveness. Now, I'm not saying that your works are not important. A Abraham did good works because his works followed his faith. Faith and works working together. But he's saved by faith and because he's saved, he then goes and does some works. The same with David in verses 6 to 9. Look at verse 7. Blessed are they, King David says, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. He's saying God covers my sin, God pardons my sin, God makes me a wicked man right with him. And I don't deserve that, I can't earn that. Let me ask you the question, what would our church look like? What do you think our church would look like if we could earn our forgiveness? If by our good works, we could earn our forgiveness with God? Well, the answer is in verse 2. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. Can you imagine how ugly our church would be if we were all boasting and, and proud and these big egos? Okay. I'm more right than you are with God because I've preached three sermons today. <laughs> I'm right with God because I got up at 7.30 this morning to come to 8 a.m. church and I'm more right with you than God because I do kids' church and, uh, and I'm more right with God than you are because I play in the band and I'm here from 3 o'clock in the afternoon and, and I'm more right with God because I go out and help the homeless. And if it's about our works, we'd be arrogant, we'd be proud and we'd be boasting in ourselves and church would be a very ugly place. And can you imagine how, how insecure we'd all be? Because if it's about our works, we'd be sitting here asking God or thinking, have I done enough? Have I done enough good works? Maybe I should just hang around for supper tonight and maybe I should go to that lunch fair because if I do those things, God will be more pleased with me. It would be this insecure, proud, arrogant place. And that's a liberating thing. It's not your works. It's all about faith. The second thing is not, it's not rituals. Uh, being right with God is not about being circumcised. Again, we don't understand this because most of us are not Jewish. If you were a Jew, circumcision was everything for you. If you weren't circumcised, you weren't a Jew. And so he says in verse 9, is, it, is this blessedness only for the circumcised? also for the uncircumcised. We, we've been saying that Abraham's faith, his belief in God, was credited to him as righteousness. Now, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised, or, or was it before? He's saying, was it that Abraham got circumcised, and because of that he was right with God? Or was he right with God, and then he got circumcised? 
And Paul is saying, just know your Bibles, verse 10. It wasn't, it wasn't after, it was before. If you know your Bibles, Abraham was about 85 years old in, in Genesis 15 when God credited to him his righteousness. But then it was 14 years later that God gave him that sign of circumcision. And, and so for 14 years, you've got Abraham who's walking around the world, walking around the earth, right with God, but not circumcised. And it wasn't that because Abraham forgot to put in his diary, I must get circumcised. God hadn't given him that sign yet. Circumcision is just a sign. It's just a seal, as verse 11 says. It's a marker that you really are right with God. And I hope you've got that. The, The things that, the rituals that we do, it doesn't make you right with God. It's a sign that you are right with God. Being baptized does not make you right with God. But if you are right with God, then being baptized is a good sign that you are right with God. Taking the bread and wine does not make you right with God. But if you are right with God, the bread and wine are a good sign. Coming to church does not make you right with God. But if you are right with God, coming to church is a good sign that you're right with God. It's not rituals, it's all about faith. It's not by the law. Verses 13 to 17. It was not through the law that Abraham, his offspring, received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith is worthless. The promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. It just exposes your sin. And where there's no law, there's no transgression. I hope you know your Bible as well enough to know that Abraham was declared right with God 400 years before the law was given. So God did not say, hey Abraham, you're right with me, but you have to wait 400 years until I give you the law just so you make sure you're right with me. He says, you're right with me. Uh, This law I'm about to give in 400 years time is to help you to live as people who are right with me. It doesn't make you right with me. And I love the fact that God uses promise language for our relationship with him. God does not say, if you do this, if you obey my law, if you keep these rules, then I will bless you. He says, friends, I've forgiven you in Jesus. And because I've forgiven you, please just take me at my word and then do what I say. So that's it. you're right with God by faith. Not by works, not by rituals, and certainly not by law. So what is faith? What is really trusting God look like? I'm going to give you three things which will define faith. Here's the first one. Faith is just trusting God's promises. It's taking God at his word. It's believing what God says. Of course, on this point... We've got to know what God's word says and what God's word doesn't say. You need to know what God actually promises you in his word. You see, often in the church, people struggle in their faith because they've been taught so-called promises that God never actually made. 
there is nowhere in the Bible where God promises you that you will have a satisfying job. He never promises to give you a, a husband or a wife or a child. He never promises you to guide you into every tiny decision. He never promises you to heal you or to make you happy. And so when that doesn't happen, please don't be disappointed or disillusioned or doubt God. Trust God's promises. What, what does God promise you in his word? He promises you that he will, if you, if you believe in Jesus, you have moved from death to life. He promises you that as soon as you trust in Jesus, you are forgiven and you are redeemed. He promises you that he will hold on to you and he will take you to glory. He promises you, listen carefully, he promises you that he will refine you through trials. That's a promise. He promises you that his grace is sufficient. He promises you he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And those are the promises you need to trust in. Not some promises that you would like God to make in his word. Faith is trusting God's promises. It's more than that. Faith is trusting God's power. Faith is saying that my God is able to keep the promises he's made. My God is powerful enough to deliver on his promises. That's why I love verse 17. End of verse 17. He says, he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. He had faith. Listen carefully. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Abraham is saying that my God is powerful enough to bring life from dead things and to create things from nothing. Our God is powerful enough to do that. You know, twice... Twice Abraham demonstrated his faith in that powerful God. Once in verses 18 and 19, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. He had faith. And so he became the father of many nations. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact his body was as good as dead. He was 99 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. She was barren. Yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. When Abraham saw Sarah's dead womb and saw his age, he didn't look at his circumstances, he looked at his God and said, my God can do that. He is powerful enough to do that. And even when God tested him to sacrifice his son, he had faith that God was powerful enough to even raise his son from the dead. Hebrews 11. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did raise Isaac back from death. See, you've got to believe that God does not just promises these things, but God has the ability to deliver on his promise. You see, you can go through life asking all the, all the dumb questions. Or you can ask the, the bigger question and saying, this seems really, really hard for me, but God is able to do anything. God can forgive me. God will forgive me because he's powerful enough to do that. Uh, how can God raise someone from the dead? Because he's powerful enough to do that. Can God give me a resurrection body? Of course he can. 
He's able to do that. He has the power to do that. Trusting God's uh, promises, trusting God's power to, to, to deliver those promises. Uh, but the final one, uh, and this is really the key one, not can God do it, but will God do it? Trust that God is faithful. That, that is really faith, isn't it? It's not enough for God to promise you something. It's not enough for God to have the power to do it. You need to be persuaded that God will actually do what he has promised to do. And I reckon that's why we struggle with faith. Because we are so cynical about promises. We've been let down so many times. And so when God promises you and me that you know, nothing, nothing can separate us from his love, and that he will hold on to us, and that he will take us from to glory, and you can be confident of eternal life. You've got to take him at his word, and say, "Yeah, God, you're going to you're going to deliver on that promise." Listen to how he's put in Hebrews eleven again. He says, "By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, he was enabled to become a father because he considered God faithful, who made all the promises." Behind these promises lies the character of a person who's making the promises. He's not only powerful, he's a faithful God. And I hope you know that. That on the day that you see Jesus, on the day that you die and you meet your maker, you do deserve hell. You do deserve wrath because of your sin. But God has promised that in Jesus your sins have been wiped away. God has promised that in Jesus you are justified, you're declared innocent by God. God has promised that he has the power to give you a resurrection body and to give you eternal life. And God is faithful to those promises and God will keep those promises. So I'm going to finish by asking the same question I started with. Do you have faith? Who is your faith in? I hope you're living here tonight going, my faith is in a God who has made the most incredible promises. He has promised to give me forgiveness, redemption. His wrath has been turned away. He's promised to keep me for eternal life. And my God that I have my faith in is powerful enough and faithful enough to keep those promises. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to take bread and wine. Remember, taking bread and wine does not make you right with God. But if you are right with God, if you are trusting in Jesus, this bread and this wine is a great reminder of your faith, that you're forgiven, you're restored, you're redeemed. The bread and wine will be handed around as we sing the song Amazing Grace. If you're here tonight and you don't have faith, if you're here tonight and you have no saving faith, please don't take the bread and wine. Let it pass you by. If you do have faith, hold on to the bread, hold on to the wine. We're going to eat and we're going to drink together after the song Amazing Grace. So I'll invite the musicians forward and as I pray. Father, we thank you for the promises that you have made.
Thank you that you promise all who call you their father, who trust in Jesus, that you promise to forgive them, to declare them right in your sight. And thank you that you are God who keeps your word. Oh Lord, I praise you that, that we have no room for boasting. I praise you that you don't require us to do things, but you've done it all in Jesus. We thank you for that grace. Help us, Lord, to have that faith, to keep trusting you. Lord, when we're facing times of doubt, when we are wavering in our faith, help us again, Lord, to, to fix our eyes on that cross, to turn back to your word, to see you in your faithfulness and your goodness, and to cling on to those promises. I'll set for Jesus' sake. Amen.